I fixed it. It was broken. What was wrong with it? It was broken, but I fixed it. <laughs> Tech support. Just fixed it. I got an Allen wrench, soldering <laughs> gun, popped off the CPU, rewired a few things, fixed oh it, soldered some things. Now it's running smoothly. I fixed it. Good. Just popped the back off of it, took the circuit board out, pulled some wires around, diagnosed the problem, fixed it. It's running smoothly now. Computer's back running smoothly now. That's good. I fixed it. Took a while. I had to take the back off, screen off. There's a dead pixel. I have quite a question actually. So I have stuff at my dad's place from when I moved um, to Berlin <laughs> five years ago. There's still stuff of mine here. One of the things that I've recently discovered is my very first laptop. I don't know why I kept it, but probably because I don't really know what to do with it. What does what? And I have an old laptop in Berlin now as well. What do you guys do with old computers? Well, first off, I have two answers to that. One, if it's broken, I can fix it. Um, <laughs> no problem. I just pop the back off, mm -hmm. take out my soldering gun, be like new. Second thing, Bitcoin mining farm. I was going to okay. suggest recycling it, but... Um, well, yeah, all, all very All good answers. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but that's... I feel like I received no answer. You what, like pop it in a blue recycling bin, take it somewhere? Um, I don't know what storage you have in Canada, but around <laughs> here you can take it to Best Buy and they will dispose of it. If it were me, I'd move to like Micronesia, start up a chan. <laughs> so you listen to the episode. Which one? Oh yeah. I all. <laughs> I'm gonna start a chan. George Chan. A coon. What's there between a chan and a coon? I don't know. One is a problematic word and the other is not. Yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't okay, know. Okay, it's like four coon or whatever. Not. I, know, I don't know. I, I'm going to start one. I was new to that. I'd only heard of four chan and eight chan. I didn't even know there was a two chan or whatever it was. I'm starting yeah, my own with, with Carly's old Max. <laughs> Great. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grab all of Carly's old Max. Where's John McAfee? Like, what island is he hiding, hiding out in? Ah, uh, yeah, I don't know. Micronesia? I'm going to go hook up with John McAfee and start a chan. Just pile of drugs. I got to imagine that guy just, like, has a room full of cocaine. I wonder where he is. Well, I'm going to know soon enough. I just need all of your old laptops. Well, I can give you one. You'll have to travel to Germany for the other. I'm gonna but I remember... Chan. This laptop, one of the, it, I had it for years and then it, the battery died. I replaced it, but then it got, it got to the point where if it wasn't plugged in, it just would die. Mm -hmm. Like it had to be physically plugged in. So not at all. I can fix laptop. that for you. No, I can fix it. Like what I do in that case is I pop the battery open, pop it mm -hmm. open, get my wrench, my, my soldering gun, my wrench, my Allen wrench set, my little micro tiny screwdrivers, those little tiny ones for like eyeglasses. Mm -hmm. And then fix the battery. And I pop it back in. Start a chan. And then I can see what I was up to. 
I've got tiny screwdrivers. I've got those screwdrivers that are so tiny. Like, it's like oh, is this a screwdriver or is it just a, a, a needle to sew things with? No, it's a screwdriver to repair batteries and build microphones with. And sunglasses and glasses. No, these, those, no, they're so much smaller than that. Like this, the glasses, screwdrivers, those look like, those look like, like the gigantor compared to mine. Mine are so tiny that you, like, you'll just, you can't even barely see them. Oh, okay. (laughs) They're made of, they're made of, um, of like molecules. Ooh. We should do um, limited run merch. Well, all of our merch is limited run, but we should do limited run merch based off of George's rants. Like this would be George's tech garage available <laughs> for one week garage. only. And oh fuck, would you all like me to mirror my screen? <laughs> Trying to turn off my notifications. Um, all we see is a G. Oh, there you are. I've been doing that to my students. Like when when I'm like, okay, so. Um, here's what my well, here's what my life is when i have to teach and then i just turn off my screen so there's just a g and then i turn off my mic so they see it's muted and i'm like yeah teach to that for two hours motherfuckers yeah. teach to teach to an icon for two hours a muted icon so does that mean you require them to leave their video no, on? i wouldn't do that i'm not a monster i would not do that to them i would not impose my will upon them I would like to, them to come to that on their own. I would right. like them to say to themselves, you know what? I shall have empathy for George. I think it would be a tough road to climb, hill to climb, if I had to just sit and teach for two hours to a, a muted icon. But I will not, I will not command them. <laughs> that would be wrong. That is the will of George. George, I want to pick up our sitcom conversation from Slack. Pick that up, that too. Was- Let's pick that up. I imagine 90s George as kind of George. top of the world George, climbing the yeah. culture ladder, putting out <laughs> releases, and you didn't recognize yeah. Ross from Friends when I sent you a gift. I don't know who that guy is. Well, you have to know who they are even if you didn't watch the that's show. That's the thing. It's like, I didn't it's look closely at his picture. It's just some dude clapping. It's not some dude. It's Ross. Okay. Well, the, all right. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Here's a quiz for you. Quizlet. Yo, are you ready for a Quizlet? Yes. What, name one thing Ross from Friends has done post Friends. Madagascar. He just had the new the show. What is that? Madagascar. He's on that huge... podcast, Homecoming, that now is an Amazon oh, series. That's right. Oh no, what else? He was on something else that was mm. really well done. He um, was on something that was good. He played uh, Robert Kardashian, I think. Yes, he yes, did. that's what yes, it was. He did. Yep. All right. All right. My so mistake. You, and my mistake. Madagascar was huge too. You can't say what it's. But Madagascar. that's an ant. Was just his voice. Yeah. Sure, but that was. Not no. That doesn't count. Because then it could just be anybody's voice. The 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 OJ. No, thing. David Schwimmer's voice is David Schwimmer's voice. I think if anyone's got a claim to a voice, it's that dude. So I got a picture from my dear friend Tanya Briganti, who's an amazing photographer. People should buy her art. Um, and she made one of my almost oldest friends for sure. But um, she sent me a picture of 90s George. I think it, w- it would probably be late 90s George, uh, maybe early, yeah, probably late 90s, maybe early 2000. I was playing in the great Tom Leach's band. I was playing mandolin. And uh, the, it's, a, it's a rocking picture. 
except for <laughs> one one detail. I'm wearing a blouse, like a full-on <laughs> blouse. What like do you a mean? lady's blouse. It's got like what? some sort of embroidery. It's like it's like what? And I said I said to Tanya, I said her nose, like, what the fuck God's name I was wearing? Wear a blouse. Can we share that so, on the ENA Instagram? Yeah, can I want to sure. see this? That blouse. sounds really good. Wear a blouse. I don't know why. Everything else looks relatively normal. Like I mean, it was rocking blue jeans, which definitely looked like kind of nineties blue jeans. They had that thing. Carly taught me a word that I will not say, but like they looked like they were designed for that. <laughs> and and I bummed I Georgia real bad with a new word. Last confused week. the fuck out of me. Can you say it? I can't say it. I can say it. Dan, do you know what a gunt is? Oh. <laughs> I, I have an idea based. <laughs> it sounds Your like it's a combination. Your idea is right. Yep. Okay. It's, yeah. I don't know how I that relates to. Typo. I don't know how that relates to George's pants. But... Well, apparently, it gave him a gunt. <laughs> well, pants from that era did. Like they all did. A lot of high waisted and... pants can create that illusion. Yeah, high -waisted so I'm wearing pants, pants that give me that. I'm rocking the mandolin. I have my glasses on. I look basically the same, except for one conspicuous detail. I'm wearing a lady's blouse. <laughs> okay, so I, I definitely want to. That I must photo. have thought it was a good look. Like it was like, oh, I guess today I'll, I've got a show to play. It's a great Tom Leach. I guess I better put my jeans on, and I, I guess I'll break this blouse out to rock, rock <laughs> the. Color uh, is it? It's it's, well, it's it's very patterned. It looks <laughs> okay. like something something would someone would use to like um, like if you found a. I see this a lot too. This is the thing that's going on these days. Like, and I'm fascinated by it, and I I don't know if I just missed it. But like people just put shit out inside of their house and then they just put free on it, right? And and a lot. Um, and I don't know where the distinction is between like trash or like someone actually might want this. It's sometimes a little blurry, but like this blouse looked like um, if I found like a, a, a love seat, a settee, a chaise that needed to be reupholstered like the the blouse, it might have been chintz. Is that a thing? You chintz. tell me. Don't know that word. Yeah. Me neither. Yeah. I think it was. You, oh, so you know you know the word that I will not say, but you don't know what chintz is. I had not yeah. heard that word before, but I I am you port savvy and crude enough to, uh, <laughs> to <laughs> knowing I that like, it bummed like, Georgia. A typo. Like, I don't know why that would. Got an R. Uh, it's a grunt. I don't know why that would bum. No, you thought I was talking about. Just gut. I don't know what you were talking about. Dan Portman. I, I want to add one thing about friends that I actually discovered just last week. Speaking of friends, that there was a podcast that I mentioned a while ago. I said no gifts. It's a part of the Exactly Right Network, which are the women who do my favorite murder. But so the I said no gifts, it's just like whatever, a hilarious, ridiculous concept where he, the name is I said no gifts and then they have to bring him a gift and they have to talk about gifts. Gift or gift? Gift, like a present. I have said you, no presents. Have you brought this podcast up before? I yes, where I it have. was one of your three things before. Yeah, yeah it was. Um, but on a recent episode, they were talking about friends. I can't remember why exactly. It was the, It was something to do with like, the guests had been talking to like young people and asking what they were watching. And it was like the office friends and like all older shows. 
But then they start talking about Friends. And I'm pretty sure that Bridger, the host of it, also said that he'd never really watched it. But it, it did do, like, it had so many cascading effects on pop- popular culture at the time. That's and what after. Dan was saying. A yeah. lot of bad TV shows came out of that. Yeah. I, I actually rewatched Friends when it, when they brought it to Netflix, like, two years ago. And it's it, it's actually what you said about um, Bill and Ted's, those movies. Like, a lot of it doesn't didn't age well. They say it's, like, very heteronormative. It's very white. It's very, like, it's, yeah, kind of, like, anti fat anti gay anti like it's, it's not great a lot of the jokes that did definitely didn't age well but the the guest in the podcast he was like do you notice how like one of the things that was really different about friends and doesn't doesn't have an equivalent still is that they're always reading which i when i was thinking about it i was like it is true they always have books in their hands and then he's talking and i was trying to see if i could actually find that to see if it's true and i couldn't but i looked for like two seconds but He's talking about how, like, I guess sometimes the books did have some kind of reference or meaning with the storylines that were happening in the show. But then other times it must have just been, like, totally random books. Like, the, the guest on the podcast, says, there's one episode where Rachel is just reading, like, a giant hardcover copy of Fountainhead, Ayn Rand. Like, just Rachel, who is, like, the, like, ditzy fashion one, is just reading this, like, giant copy. So it's, like obviously someone in like the props department just handed them random books sometimes and like for Rachel to be reading Ayn Rand yeah it just like makes no sense but but I thought that that was interesting it is true that they're constantly reading on that show you know you don't see that but isn't that also just because it was the mid 90s and they couldn't be scrolling on there was no phone But you wouldn't have people just constantly scrolling their phone in a show. But you have, you go back to the Andy Griffith show, people would read the newspaper. I mean, like that was a thing. And perhaps, perhaps Friends was a gateway drug to the objectivist objectivist philosophy of Ayn Rand. And perhaps it was the precursor to the Uber bros. I mean, that would be a good deleterious effect. (laughs) Um, But um but it's kind of like reading the excellent book that you chose, Carly, for a book club, which was a load of fun, I thought, the other night, where she she talks about um, taking a break from reading. And I talked about this on the book club. Like, there's a whole chapter, like, this week, you're not allowed to read. And that it was so of a time where, like, it, you know, you had three channels. So it's like, yeah, I, there's nothing for me to watch. There was no, you know, constant tether to an iPhone you'd actually read a fucking book. That was the medium of the day. Mm-hmm. So it, it doesn't, it, it's sort of anachronistic, which is horrifyingly sad, but. Uh, so I, I guess the idea of not reading is you have to fill your time doing something, right? Instead yeah. of consuming, creating, yeah. right? And so now that would be. Impossible, like, but you can't no not consume screen. now. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's just also we've rewired the the dopamine. Like book books provide a, a books are like a books are like a bowl of oatmeal or something that digests slowly through the day and provides you sustenance without spiking your sugar levels or whatever. Social media is like Red Bull, where it's like you know poof, immediate jolt of dopamine and then sugar crash. How many mm-hmm. magazine subscriptions did you have in the nineties that so you personally? Many so many i love periodicals the the my favorite apple product maybe of all time is is news plus 
it it makes me more so, so than happy. shortcuts. What shortcuts? The, the app that you oh, the shortcuts app. I love yeah. the shortcuts app. Yeah, yeah. But but no, like I I revel in News Plus, and I don't think it's durable. I don't think it can last. Um, it's the way the, <laughs> there used to be a restaurant that I'd go to, and it was it, it, and it was overpriced. But on on some nights they would do like sushi night, and you could arbitrage it. Like you could like they they screwed it up so that like if you knew what you were doing with sushi, you could pick one from column A, one from. And I would just pick. I just like eat all the sashimi for like twelve dollars, and then they eventually realized this is not working for us. I feel that way about News Plus. It's, it's, it's like I read the New Yorker there. I read Mojo there. I read like all of these magazines that I otherwise would buy. Um, now it's like, here you are. I mean, it, it's saving me hundreds of dollars. It's kind of like the music business, right? I mean, it's it's the way you used to have to buy CDs. Now it's like, here it all is. It doesn't end well. I don't think most people would subscribe to magazines now if it wasn't brought to them in some form the New Yorker of aggregated. Alone, man. But, but that's that's different. That's that's in a, like that, uh, the Atlantic does print, right? I mean, that's, yeah. those I are- I get the Atlantic on, on News Plus. Exactly. Well, so I think there's a certain tier where yeah people will subscribe to those but like i don't know fishing weekly or something it's yeah i I used to subscribe to to yoga journal i used to subscribe to um high fidelity audio used to though right i I know but but now i I don't have to because of news plus do they exist also yes (laughs) i love yoga journal as a kid and like all this all this guitar magazines dude exactly that's what i I was gonna say as a kid i would buy those every month but i haven't recently i haven't recently though because i can find whatever i want online but now but now because they're all on news plus that's what i read and i read i love reading through the interviews but if news plus went away would i go and subscribe to five different guitar magazines yeah, you wouldn't. That's what I'm but, saying. So, but the point is, this is the only way they're going to get any type of money from me. But it's going to kill them. It doesn't work. The economics of it don't work. But then, then and it's just supply and demand, right? If there's not enough I don't demand know. for it, I, there's, it there's an arbitrage moment right now. In the same way as the music business, and my fear is that it's the music business was a canary in the coal mine. Where, sure, New Yorker, Atlantic, or whatever. They can do this, gain new readers. They're not making money on that as some pro rata thing. The advertisers are going, wait, what? Um, you know, so it, like all those marginal ones that are kicking around now have been forced into this doomsday scenario. You have it's just like iTunes and and, and the you know, you sure. have to be on these services because if you're not, you don't exist, but the economic model isn't sustainable. But so it's the same thing where like where the lie that was told to musicians you're right musicians you're probably not going to make much money um from the dsps however you'll make it up and then some on merchant touring bullshit and it's the same bill of goods is being sold the new york times or whatever and they're going to start pulling them off like you know that's what'll happen And, and so you know apple is in constant negotiations with their tentpole publishers new yorker new york times whatever and and the moment they go it's over and they will go and washington post came off that right it did and i and i pay for it so i pay for the washington post i pay for the new york times i pay for the wall street journal because none of those, the Wall Street Journal magazine is part of News Plus, but not the not the, the not the daily mag, uh, newspaper. And I still pay for all those in a heartbeat. 
I'd stop paying if they were on News Plus. But a lot but those of the, are meaningful enough for me to keep paying for, even when they're not. But a lot of these magazines, I mean, their their model was dying with or without News Plus, and they, the, yeah. all maybe these, though, Dan. But but because I consume this probably the same amount of guitar content as I did back when I was reading those, but now I've got different platforms where I'm watching like Rhett Show or Anderton's Music Company on YouTube, where they're doing the same guitar reviews, they're doing hour and a half long interviews with someone I'm going to bring up for one of my three things. And they're getting hundreds of thousands of views multiple times a week and getting the, the CPM from that, which is okay. And, and that's a business model, right? And, and so the New York times actually figured it out. I believe and somebody can check me on this, but I believe that they are a very profitable institution at this but, point. But right? that's, that's high level. That's, that's, yeah. it is. So Dan, what about it all the wasn't always, ones? this is my point. They, yes, they had massive brand equity. But they've also worked really hard, and I give them a lot of credit. Um, you know, their their food app, which I pay four dollars a month for, mm -hmm. their crossword app, which I think I pay five dollars a month for, and then just the regular subscription. Like they've built mm -hmm. products that 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 you know people are willing to pay for, and it didn't just start that way. Like they had to completely fragmentize, right? And they were failing, right? Like the, but they someone were not came in and injected a ton of money wasn't didn't some wealthy family like well, the, same, the, the same family the salzburgs have owned the new york times yeah. forever but um but it, it, it's more that like i really do applaud them for finding new products under that purpose and it's whether it's food or cooking and they've got all these different little touch points that that, that for, like i don't care about sports but i bet they've got a sports product that people pay for right and, and, and I hear you, they have huge brand equity, but they very easily could have gone the way of other huge, the Boston Globe. The Boston Globe has not done that and they're in deep trouble, right? I mean, they've been owned by the same parent company, but they've got brand equity. They haven't squirted off these products that people are willing to pay for. Well, exactly, Boston but... Globe, there was, was the, um, and I always forget the name of it, but that podcast about the art heist, wasn't that in like conjunction with that something that you see happening more is is um newspapers getting involved in podcast production i've seen it sure. particularly it with the australian actually they did the teacher's pet which was a hugely popular um podcast and actually like what? reopened a, a like cold case and the same guy he just started another one called night driver i started listening to it but i I didn't even finish the, first the episode, New York but Times I think the that's Daily. interesting. Yeah, the New York Times the Daily. Yeah, and uh, that's one of, it's always angle. the top five podcast. Kara Swisher yeah. just launched a new New York Kara Times Swisher podcast. Kara Swisher has a new one. They're, they're be, this is an example of an institution that 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 has actually against all odds. I mean, if you roll back time ten years ago, the New York Times was going to go away, and and against all odds, they've managed to, and it it, it ties completely with the articles that I just published. Did you publish it or did you send me a Google Doc? <laughs> I sent you a Google Doc because that was the instructions. Well, we'll, we'll count it. Um, but the point is, yes, New York Times has you know, this innovator's dilemma, right? It's your classic. They avoided it. Well, no, but they're investing in podcasts. Oh, and well, New York okay. Times they're video they're avoiding innovator's dilemma by staying innovative even when they are the incumbent. Yes, yes exactly. And it's what yes. all these other companies didn't do. And I don't think it's because of money or anything else. Like Premier Guitar, I think it's Premier Guitar, tried with the Rig Rundown series, which is great. 
but it was not enough. They said, we'll do this. This is one my YouTube point. Show. Yeah. It's not the money. It's, it's the, the, it's the mindset and somehow, and somebody should, people should talk more about it. Someone or many people at the New York times deserve a lot of credit. You're dead right for, for avoiding that innovator's dilemma pitfall and going, okay, we've got this brand equity. Our original product print is going away. And, 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 and if it we will want never to... go away completely. As a journalism student, I can tell you learning, studying journalism, they, they told us like quite point blank, like this is an industry in which you won't make a lot of money. And the only people that you'll be able to maintain relationships with are other journalists. You'll like know Consider a lot of the alcoholics. <laughs> Consider yeah. the source. That, that's journalists. super, super, super fixed mindset thinking, right? But, and and that, but that's exactly- At that time it was like print is dying and we've been told that I think that there was a really bad time actually where it did seem like print truly was dead like to I don't know like 2010 2012 like it was like everything was just like collapsing magazines that were this big were suddenly this big and mm-hmm. but I don't think it's going to go away just like newspapers haven't gone away there's always going to be a it's market final. for it. It's, I mean, it's it's the wrong comparison. Sure, it, there will be artifacts from that that satisfy a different need. There will always be someone that's like, I like the feel of the ink on the Sunday Times or whatever. But I would I would love to see the graph of, and I bet you it's just an absolute nosedive in terms of physical delivery. People throwing newspapers onto a porch versus people. I mean, it's it, it sure it's vinyl. There, there are some people that have nostalgic kind of, you know, uh, reminiscence bump emotions around things like print, and that's fine. But it's the same way people buy vinyl records. It, it's over. I don't know. I actually don't see that trend. I think that there are a lot of like how many how many engine... newspapers do you get delivered to your home? There's, I think, for smaller communities, local papers are, of course dying and being bought up and merged but i think that people are recognizing how how truly scary that is if local news goes away like that affects politics it affects taxes it affects like it it, it's catastrophic if local news goes away but it doesn't just go away substitutes emerge look at what's happening with that that um nearby i mean substitute what's nearby I don't know if it's called nearby the next the, door. Okay, next door, which you, is I a mean, substitute. It, it it is <laughs> it is, but substitutes begin to emerge. It's, There's no substitute it just, for local journalism. Oh, I'm sorry, oh, not. <laughs> Twitter. I don't think that there is. But and there's a direct ground. correlation the local, between local journalism is now I am on the ground at an event using Twitter or medium or whatever, talking about my experience. Podcasts, it, the medium changes. You have to redefine what journalism is. I was actually just listening to something about how the death of local news and local papers has a direct, very tangible, very quantitative effect on taxes, on politicians. Who holds politicians accountable then? Who's actually going to city hall meetings? I have been to many city hall meetings. Do you know how painful they are? There is a direct correlation. You can There are graphs and charts that show when local news goes away, 
taxes go up, accountability for politicians goes way down. It can affect every level of public funding from schools to police forces. And you don't have a comparison by people going to an event and live tweeting it. So where, okay, so where does that end, Carly, if you take that approach? Well, it ends with what's happening in the U.S. You have less accountability. You have. And so um, it's over. No, you have. You, buy your local paper. I, I just I don't have that mindset. The local papers aren't coming back. Right. So so we can we can say, I mean, unless 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 the government wants to support local papers, they're not coming back. So, you, you know, the local papers have to innovate in the same way that the New York Times has to. And they have to view new means of technology and new means of discourse as a way to fill that need. It, you're 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 thinking very product, not purpose. I journalism what, is not sorry go ahead Josh. no you go ahead I, mean, I think one of the big losses is with local press and local newspapers specifically rather than online is you don't choose what you're reading you don't see only the music or only the sports it's the the news that you would never seek out but is probably important and stuff that gets covered that would be you know like a uh, any embezzlement by uh, some town authority or any type mm -hmm. of accountability. It needs to happen that I'm not going to be looking for when I'm looking for something to read on Sunday morning. But if if I'm looking at my local town paper or town paper website, that comes up because that's not going to. What are the chances of someone tweeting about that and then everyone in the town actually hearing about it? It's not going to happen. So you all would you all would prefer to go back to. Um, an editor um, curating your information rather than people themselves. I mean, this is this was always the argument that I got with with the music business. Like when when people ask me a lot, like wasn't it better back in the day pre iTunes, pre whatever? And my answer is always no, because you had jackasses like me that were deciding what what records were able to go to market rather than just lowering the barriers to entry yes there is a negative to that the market gets full of shit right so when 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 i there was a time when i was putting records out when there was literally under a hundred thousand records released a year there's now something like a hundred thousand records released an hour or something it's out of control mm -hmm. um and many of them if not most of them are shit i still would never go back to gatekeepers, dominantly white males, being the ones that keep people from going to market. And I feel the same way about news. I would never go back to some old person, you know, saying this is what the readers should see. I, I find that. I mean, there's never going to be that type of curated monopoly on news anymore. But I still think there should be some some way that the important news that is not necessarily recreation interesting but is important and for people we are to, wrestling that with that out? as yeah. a society in real time the the, the 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 i mean twitter's a mess facebook's a mess all of this is a mess and is being gamed by bad actors right mm -hmm. and, and and the pendulum has swung we we don't know what's true where it's coming from what's news i mean all of the q and stuff all the stuff that we talk about here is people gamifying the platform right and and people are sick of it you know, and so that uh, that that creates an opportunity 
for innovation to come along and find that medium. But I'm just telling you right now, the medium in the, in the argument and the fight is not we need local newspaper, print newspapers to come back. That's the wrong mindset. Uh, I mean, I wasn't... Whatever format it takes that you need, yeah. lo you need local news. It's like the same thing we I talked totally about. I totally agree. You... I mean, it's like it's next just... door for journalism, right? It's what is the aggregator that will build an infrastructure to support all of these local journalists and give them an outlet. Because it, and that might be the wrong the KPI. Like, it, journalism may not be sustainable as a career, but adjacencies to it. It's the same thing with music. For many people, music never was and certainly never will be sustainable as a career. That doesn't mean people will stop making music and stop mm -hmm. putting music into the world. We definitely need more curation around that. But I, I just, I don't, I, I always think it's dangerous to kind of retrograde back to, oh, things were better when we never were said that. more primitive. Well, you, you, you drew a lot of comparisons to politics and et cetera, to the, to the decline of local news. The implication being no, that it was better I, then. No, I say without that, those things get worse. That's what I said. No, you said that, that because of that, things have got, lack of that, things have gotten worse. In some places, yes. Yes. Okay. When and, and all local I'm saying is the remedy isn't let's go back to newspapers. That won't happen. So we have to orientate towards, okay, given that that's not going to happen, how do we achieve the things that you are very rightly saying are necessary, but doing so through the lens of, of new technologies and not clinging, not that you are, but I see lots of people doing it, clinging to old architectures that no longer work. And, and this is the same, this is make America great again. Well, if only we could go back to coal, that's not going to happen. We still need to have jobs for people that, that, that are, you know, are working in those industries. But if you just say, well, we just need to go back to coal, that's not going to work. We have to say, well, this people could be retrained to, to do, you know, wind, solar, whatever. It, it's the same with journalism. I think that there's a, a, a huge divide between rural and urban here, though. I think you go to a lot of small communities and this whole idea that like no one wants the paper, that's wrong. I'm like living amongst small communities. And maybe there's a big difference between Canadians They're and Americans. Adopters. There are a lot. But I think, well, yeah. And... I see it too when I go to the grocery store. I see stacks of the Marblehead Reporter. And I'm sure people pick them up. But look at look at the psychographic and demographic of those people. They are late adopters and they're doing it because that that tactile feeling of the paper gives them some comfort. I don't think it's because they can't find that news elsewhere. I don't think they're looking for a trusted source, as Dan's saying. They don't want to go. They don't it's want to yet. get their news from social media or like do the Googling. They want to be they want it, the curation. It was, it's not about print. Either. So my, my no. parents live in a pretty rural area and they go to the newspaper's website, which is, you know, local papers are getting better websites where they can actually scroll through all the local news. It's just the fact that it comes from an authoritative source rather than yeah. what my dad's Facebook. golfing buddy posts on Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's there's less and less money in it. Right. So how do you keep important information or information that people need to know even if they're not going to look out for it yeah um, bubbling to the top or being visible and 
I've always thought you don't do it is clinging to outmoded technology. I have a, I wonder, and maybe it's not that big of a, uh, of a contribution, but I wonder if, if air travel really changes dramatically for a long period of time, what that will do. I think I, I would be so curious to know how many books and newspapers are sold and magazines in airports specifically. I feel like those are in every single airport you go to, there's, always a few options and like for for different spots to buy books i feel like there must be publishers who have such a huge portion of their revenue come from airport sales specifically Most business books i mean it's job to be done it's yeah. aspirational it's you know i'm about to get on a plane i i i don't have time to or i don't have a kindle or whatever i i want to learn something or i want to pass the time or whatever yeah. it's job it's job to be done and just like with music, not streaming as much during COVID because people aren't commuting, sales of, of business books and trash novels and all those airplane books are, are collapsing. And what about the psychology of people thinking more locally rather than globally because they are stuck in their own town for six yeah. months so far? That's interesting. Mm-hmm. I think, I mean, that's an interesting line. I thought where it's like people's habits, what was I saying? I didn't read it yet, but like, there's an article in the, in the journal with Jeff Tweedy getting back to routine or something. I know personally, I've, I've definitely experienced that where I feel much more tied to my, my house. I actually have gotten to know my neighbors a little bit. So there is that, that sense of community that, that is a direct, direct relationship to. Yeah, to totally. I mean, I probably wouldn't have moved to a, a bigger apartment if it weren't for all of this and thinking I'd be stuck. I would have probably kept the office and had a smaller living center but now it's now the first time in my adult life that i don't feel the need to be in the middle of a city it like because if this also if there's something that keeps happening i want outdoor space i want like room you know because yeah if you have to be kept at home which i think will be something we deal with this like next year at least that's interesting because i i did Three months of the living in the middle of nowhere, enjoying the outdoor space, but missing just like seeing other people, seeing strangers, yeah. and like a lack of connection. And now I've been back in New York since July. Uh, and now it's, I I love seeing other people and people are being pretty safe now. So I like, you know, to walk around the street and see life happen. But I do miss being able to have the seclusion and go walk down some trail and not see anyone for few minutes um i think it's a happy medium right like you have to find for me it's just the first time that i've i've reconsidered it since you know like the moment i left home after high school it was like i only wanted to be in the city and then like bigger cities it's always i've gone from you know vancouver to montreal to berlin and um i think there is something just like a life cycle aspect to that as well where you know like the city is kind of where you need to be culturally job wise education wise and then maybe as you get a bit older you are looking for different things or your priorities do shift a little bit your financial financial situation changes or like paying you know four times the rent in a city versus what you could get somewhere maybe a little bit more removed so i do think that there's a life cycle part to it and maybe that's a contributing factor as well but I've talked to different friends and like cousins and stuff who are my age who have also said that this has made them kind of reassess what they want and they do want 
you know, like some privacy, an outdoor space with some privacy, like versus a, you know, condo on the whatever floor, like somewhere with some grass. And, and I think it, yeah, you have to have like a, a closed room because now you have to have an office. You can't just be working from your bedroom or whatever. And mm-hmm. so I think it's an interest in talking to, to people that, who have had that same kind of like reassessment of what actually matters and what makes them feel most comfortable or safest or happiest. If you strip everything away and you have to be quarantined or whatever, working from home, you have kind of one spot that you have to really have as your true base where it's not just like, well, I have this house, but I work here. I socialize here. I work out here. I eat here. Then what would I actually want? And it is very different than maybe what they've just been used to. So yeah, but like how skewed are, are what we think are our wants right now? I mean, if everything goes back That's to true. some semblance of normal in 18 months are, you know, are you going to want question. the backyard and the privacy, but, you know, giving up the downtown area and if, you know, live music comes back and all the culture that is is in cities comes back, do you make a big mistake because you signed up for a $400,000 mortgage or whatever? Yeah. Well, George and I were talking about this recently about like what will happen to cities. I don't think cities are going to, to go away. I don't think, I mean, there has already been a little bit of a shift of people that have left and it will be sometimes it's harder to go back than to stay and just like live through a tough period. But there are other times where you can look back. Like when we were talking about um, like the nuclear war and 9-11 and kind of like the things that were pivotal moments for different generations, I'm sure that there was a lot of like, well, no one's going to want, there was after 9-11, it was like, who's going to want to stay in cities or go to sporting events or travel internationally. These things are now becoming targets as opposed to like the desirable places to be. And that didn't really stick. I'm sure that there were people that left New York or stopped going to things short term or didn't travel. But I think with COVID and this idea that like New York is canceled, LA is canceled, all these things, it's like, I don't think that that will actually last. But I mean, look at like how well some of these Northeastern cities are doing now and how poorly some of the more rural areas are doing. Because yep. Not because of the the makeup of the city having a bunch of people, but because of the, uh, I guess, political leanings. And there's your local news. Yeah. The, the Ames, the Ames, Iowa newspaper, what do the editorials look like there with respect to masks and, and things? Yeah. That information is good. Fox News. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, I think the bigger issue is, you know, if, if this drags on, it's not going to be what people want or whatever. I mean, restaurants, uh, nightclubs, it's, they're gone. Will they be able to come back? Sure, but it'll be more like they'll come and, and they'll come back the way they came. They emerged on the margin, you know. I mean, it'll be more like Kreuzberg, Berlin is now. It'll be more like you know the Lower East Side of of Manhattan was in in the eighties or seventies, where it's like dangerous as fuck, but there's all this cultural stuff and the rents are cheap. I mean, it, it, like that's the pattern it'll go if if this continues. All of those rents collapse. You'll have a creative class that can come back in, young people who are willing mm-hmm. to take the risk, and yeah. they'll actually be able to afford 
to have a have a, a art space or to have a gallery or to have a coffee shop. That's that's not a thing in New York. If you're like, okay, or Brooklyn, I mean, you know better than any of us, Dan. If it's like, okay, I think I'll open a coffee shop or a, a club and my rent is $70,000 a month. Well, no, you're not. But if everything collapses, then then you you get that. It, it's it's a cycle. The the West Coast is different because it may all just burn down and become uninhabitable. <laughs> I mean, and that's the thing. Like I've always I've always thought at some point in my life, I'll live, retire, whatever, to Northern California. I just love it there. I love I love Yountville. I love I love that area. You know, Calistoga and um, Sebastopol. I don't think those places are habitable for much longer. Yeah. Like I, 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 in my own, my own personal, you know, just thinking about my, you know, where I want to be or whatever, I'm pretty much Xing those places off. How far north does, does the dangerous, you know, far as fires, the fires that happen every and heat. I mean, look ago. at what happened in San Francisco this summer. And there was an amazing piece. I think it was in the Atlantic where it's like, it's not that it's it's not that we're going to be saying this was the hottest whatever on record. We'll we'll now be thinking that this is the coolest compared to what it's going to be. You know, it's oh, and um, and that's a tragedy. These are these beautiful places that that will become like Mars or something. Which like, no, we can't live there. But does that danger go as high as like Portland, well, Seattle? Yeah, it goes Apparently. as high as BC. I mean, in Canada, every really? every summer in BC, there's really bad forest fires. When I was there a couple of years ago for a, or maybe it was last summer, actually, I can't remember. I've like lost all concept of time. But um, by August, there's just no sun. It's all fog because of the forest fires. It's just smoky. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, on the coast, too. I mean, I, I, always, I, I take my little perambulations and think. And um, there's a little strip in Marblehead down right on the water. Um, and I remember... It was three years ago, I guess, and there was some big hurricane, and it literally buckled the street, just like just you know, and the seawall just didn't make it. And they've repaved it, and everything's fine. And I look at these these really great houses right there, kind of over, like just insuring those motherfuckers is going mm-hmm. to be hard, you know. Like if you are the house I lived in before, now like it was in a quote flood zone, and the insurance on this on it was insane. And and at a certain point, people will go. Why well, I, I can't get insurance for this, and so I can't live on these these flood areas or you know the coastal areas. So, yeah. But where's safe then? Where do we live? Well, there's do a we lot go? of beautiful parts in Middle America. I mean, stay out of tornado country, maybe. But yeah, exactly. You know, but I think a lot of people don't move there because there aren't jobs or because the it doesn't match up with your personal ideologies, but if more people end up moving to some of these places that are historically cheaper and you get some I don't know, more diverse ideas and cultures in those places, they become more desirable. And it's still beautiful mm-hmm. parts of America, right? It's not of course. that those places are undesirable. But they're under, they're under threat. And like you have these competing forces where... As you said about the jobs, that'll change, right? I, I think one of the one of the levels of COVID yeah. COVID will be that well, I can work from anywhere now. Mm-hmm. And I sure as fuck am not going to pay, you know, city rents to do that. Uh, I've heard that Athens, Georgia is nice, or Ames, Iowa is nice, or whatever, you know. And and um it, and then you also have people that are just like want a different quality of life. I have I have friends that are 
you know, my age are a little bit older and they're like, yeah, you know, we, we want a house. We want to not worry about, we can get that in middle America somewhere. And as they move, they, they will then become economies around them to kind of serve their needs. The challenge right now is we've become so divisive that the, the stereotype is that the only people living in those red states are, you know, maniacs. And so, yeah, I'm not moving to fucking Ohio if 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 two thirds of my neighbors have all lives matters fucking signs in their yard. Like, I mean, there was an all lives matter on a on a house in Marblehead. It took every ounce of my, you know, whatever restraint not to knock on the door and be like, could you please explain this to me? Could you please explain the motivation behind why you feel the need to put an all lives fucking matter sign on your on your uh, fence? But the, but the whole and like and of, I wanted to listen. I wanted to have a growth yeah. mindset. I, I want to be like, look, you're clearly well. I was going to say you're probably you're clearly a successful person, or you wouldn't have this house. Bullshit. You probably inherited this house. But but be that as it may, talk talk me through this. But if it's a big movement of people moving, it's not just you and everyone else. Is all lives matter? It's the entire. You know, all no, of those somebody's places. Somebody's got to be that are... swashbuckler. Somebody's got to be that bivouac that like puts up the 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 you know, first line of defense against these maniacs. Well, fine, but they're they're not going to last at the end of the day. You know, it's... I thought about getting a gun like that. That's where this world is. I hate Why? guns. Well, I mean, it's just like one of those random kind of just like because it's it, it, do you feel threatened? Just, not really. But when I see signs like that. And then it and it's it's just it's it's all psychological warfare. It's all we're going to foment so much fear that even devout. I've been a pacifist since I was conscious. I remember getting into arguments with my dad. Well, George, what if what if someone was trying to kill me? Would you kill them? I'm like no, you know. And he was just setting up a straw man, you know. But um, but like it's just my personality. And 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 then the psychology is well, we're going to scare people enough so that they're like the only way that I can feel comfortable is to get a gun. Therefore, I too am going to join this bizarro cult of of you know Second Amendment misreaders. But so, what would be the purpose? Skeet shooting. Would... What do you think the purpose would be? It'd be it'd be <laughs> it'd be you know in case some lunatic Trump supporter. Gets you know decides or the what is it? I, like, I don't even want to say their names. What is it called? And they're uh, the Proud Boys. Like you get, yeah. I mean, you get people hopped up on enough, you know, insanity. Mix in religion, add in alcohol, throw in whatever fucking steroids that they're all taking whenever it is that they do. I mean, bad shit happens. But so it would be like to carry with you when you're out. No, I'm not going to carry that you would keep at with home. Me. I, I'm not going to get a gun. You know what? I'd rather I'd rather have some asshole blow my fucking head off than than have a gun. And I live alone, so I don't have to have like the the you know the quandary of oh, I mean the, the weird straw dogs Dustin Hoffman thing of like, well, how will you defend your family, George? I mean, I, it, it, uh... it's the wild hogs. What what's that? <laughs> the reply all episode, Carly, where they're talking yes. about. <laughs> There was a the tweet that went viral hogs. like a year ago where people were like, no, I need guns because wild hogs keep on attacking my home. And everyone's, <laughs> and that went viral because it sounded ridiculous. But then uh, it was true. PJ <laughs> Vogt sought out the guy and was like, oh, no, this dude does have a bunch of wild hogs attacking his dogs and family. And he needs something to 
<laughs> well, the more yeah, hard got just lost everything. Mean, go watch Straw Dog sometime. You know? Sam Peckinpah. Dustin I've never Hoffman. seen it. What What is it? Sam Peckinpah movie. Sam motherfucking Peckinpah about this this young family. It's in England or somewhere, just being harassed and attacked, and like the way you go from being a pacifist. And Sam Peckinpah was a lunatic, right? But you know, amazing. Those are great movies. What'd you all work on? Well, I really here? like um, being a trailblazer. So I am going to be the first person to pay some money to our our ENA accountability jar. How much and to whom? Well, we agreed on $50. You might have agreed on that. No, we there is a recording yeah. where the three of us record. agreed. Yes, nice try. Fake news. Fake news. <laughs> I'm Lindsey Graham. I'm Lindsey motherfucking Graham. Just because I said something and it's recorded? No. Different circumstances. You have Democracy, to pay Democracy, two against one. Two against no, one. but I'm Lindsey Graham. I'm, I'm Mitch McConnell. Yeah, but- Can you imagine- can you imagine no. being that? Can you imagine? And like, I want to know, I want to like, who, who goes, well, you know, he seems like a reasonable guy that I'd like to kind of hang out with and maybe have a, have a, a Negroni with Mitch fucking McConnell. Like, can you even imagine? People marry the these, men, these men. Can you imagine? Yeah. No. Like, you know who I want to break bread with and maybe go and then we like walk down and look at the ocean with and maybe take a boat ride. Um, Lindsey Graham. Can you fucking yeah. imagine? Like, I, no. Anyway, all right. So, who are you gonna pay? Who are you gonna pay the? the I'm putting it into the ENA. Me? No, the ENA fund. I owe fifty dollars. I'll I'll set up a PayPal for for using the uh, Hello Entrepreneurship yeah. email address. We'll pay into that, and that account will be linked to our advertising accounts. So we'll just draw. Can I trade it. off of it? Can I? Can you put it in a Robinhood <laughs> account, and I can create com- complex derivative options? No, because I can't access Robinhood from Canada. So no. You don't want to. I can turn that fifty dollars into into five hundred thousand dollars so fast. Public is the new one that launched that's supposed to be like the anti Robinhood, right? There's nothing wrong with Robinhood. The I mean I get that it's created habit forming behavior that people that shouldn't be trading are trading, but there's I mean it's it's there's nothing wrong. I mean I I was very skeptical of it until I saw that Andreessen backed it and they're not gonna back just pure ass like fraud so i downloaded it i mean they've, they've no it's fun. not fraud. i think it's a cool it's, concept it's the gamifying it and giving kids the option to kids do options. but those kids are lying then because like you have to you well have but to... They're, they're 18 i mean it was the kid that killed himself that was like 21 I know, years I know. old but but and, and i and that's a horror show and and but anyway i i don't again it's it's the yeah creating habit forming behavior um, you know, using that kind of hooked model to have byproducts in which people kill themselves is objectively bad. Uh, there have been lots of traders generally who have killed themselves over the years. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, I think it's I lost money you... several times where I was like, I, yeah, I'm 100% going to jump off a bridge. I mean, it is, it is, a, and that kid didn't even lose the money. He just thought he had. That's the thing. So it's like if you dress something up and market it to, yeah, you know, people that are college age. 
and then they don't understand the product, you don't provide the educational resources. But you could Yeah, it's like Visa and MasterCard targeting university students. It's the same thing. It's like it shouldn't it shouldn't happen. And there's of course going to be those horror stories. It's like that that movie, that documentary maxed out. And there are there are like university level kids that kill themselves because they find themselves in like two hundred thousand dollars of debt. They have no financial literacy. Why would anyone pre approve a student who has no work experience no assets no savings account and give them just like a limitless credit card there's always going to be someone that whether it's a a, yeah yeah i mean it was the the the, the 2007 or the the housing bubble i mean you could get a loan if you were alive that was the criteria and some people were getting loans that weren't alive but so okay so speaking of so you you are now in crippling debt that goes to yosef no, it goes to a it goes PayPal to our marketing account. efforts. Yeah. yeah, which will then be paying for our Instagram ads, or if people want swag, be or paying books, for us to educate more people for, at the end of the yeah. day. Okay, I like that way to look at that. Yeah, I like that a lot. That was very generous of you, Carly. That was very good. Good of you. Yes, I am just such a good person. <laughs> didn't do my work so i'll pay instead but yes now that's that's done we've that the ice has been broken on that but more interestingly enough what did you guys work on so i didn't publish anything so i'm gonna i'm gonna follow through the rules and i'm gonna pay the 50 dollars but today i've got a medium post coming out which was already written ages ago and i'm just it's an article I published on ENA. I'm going to throw my narrated version, the uh, audio player onto the medium posts and publish. That sounds like an updated piece. No, I don't know if you owe $50. Cheap, that's such a cheap, it's, no, because I recorded this. I, I wrote the article a month ago. I recorded the audio two weeks ago. I published the audio last week. All I'm doing is taking the player embed putting it in medium and publishing this already released article on a different platform. Um, but, and then I also have um, a bunch of our old episodes lined up to be released as video episodes on YouTube. Okay. So that's coming, but I haven't published anything new this week. So I'm going to put money in the marketing fund. Ooh, as well. I have so much money, <laughs> but George, but George you, you wrote a new actually, piece. Did you write it again this morning? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love it. I love it though because um, I've been thinking on it all fucking week, and that's mm-hmm. how I write. I have things cascading around in my head, and now I have a real clear, motivating purpose. And I got myself. I was so happy. I got up. I did my little morning pages, which I found the happy medium on that too. Like I, I write them on my iPod, iPad, in hand with my pencil. So mm-hmm. I'm, it's like, it's perfect for me. That's and a good, I have to, yeah. Yeah. That's and I, I kind of have to guesstimate what three pages would be, but I'm digging it so much. And, and already, you know, and so then I got up, I woke up, reached right for my, my iPad, didn't look at the Twitter or the, any of that nonsense, wrote my morning pages. And I was like, okay, got myself pretty, made myself look pretty. Put your face on. Did put you my, hear? Put, put myself, made myself beautiful. Mm-hmm. Then, uh, then I was like, okay. Opened up my bear app. And I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna build off of my little matrix thing. And I've been I'd been knowing in my head that I needed to do it. That motherfucker gushed out of me like a geyser. 
in 30 minutes, I had, I don't know how many words I had written. And I, I don't know. I mean, I never know if anything's good or bad or whatever, but I feel very pleased by it. So tell and us about a, the actual it's piece. It's purpose, not product. It's about, in which I've never really written about. And so, cause I, I, I laid out that kind of matrix, high touch, low touch or whatever. And, and then I was in, in like, in my mind, I'm like, okay, I'm going to, and now I know I'm Charles fucking Dickens, right? I'm going to serialize a book. Right. And so, cause that's why I said, I, I titled the last one, start here. And then, then this one I titled now go here. Right. So it's like, name your own adventure. And it's like, it's one thing to think through high touch, low margin. At the end of the day, if you don't wrestle with the purpose, not product thing, none of it much matters. And purpose, not product can recalibrate those squares. And I've, I've long kind of quoted anecdotally Henry Ford. I actually went and did the research and found his biography and found that he, in fact, in fact did say, um, you know, customers can have any Model T Ford so long as it's black. Right. But then he expounds on it and he talks about purpose. And then that led me right to Steve Jobs. And I, I think it's a decent piece. I could be wrong. I think people will cite it in, in academic treatises hundreds of years from now. <laughs> but it's it's got me it's it's got my my wheel spinning and now I know what I know what my third piece is going to be I'm just going to keep putting one foot in front of the other the next thing you know the journey has been achieved and I don't have to pay anyone money and I was I was partly motivated by those motherfuckers at American Express I um I I've had American Express cards like forever and and they made this change like it used to be American Express cards you had to pay your bill at the end of the month on time every time where you couldn't have an American Express. So I did that for. Then my life went to hell in a fucking handbasket in terms of financial things. And so I had to switch it a little switch over to pay over time, right? 18% APR and not great. And um, but like I just had to do what I had to do. And and then now I've got all, I've got no debt again. And and um then I'm looking at my little co-pilot app, which is an amazing financial app that I will recommend to you all because then I will get two months for free. Um, and there was a $5 charge from Amex. And my bill wasn't due, right? Because I paid the thing and I was actually not paying it because I was waiting for them. Because one of the benefits is they're supposed to pay for your TSA global entry thing, which I put on my Amex card and then they're supposed to pay for it. So I was like, all right, I'll wait for that. And then $5 on your pay over time interest. That was, I was like, are you fucking kidding? $5 is a half a bottle of sweet vermouth. I do not want to give Amex a half a bottle of sweet vermouth. So I switched my dingus over to no more pay over time. That's the last bit of money they're getting from me. Bastards. It's insidious. So, I don't, how did Amex relate to your Because I didn't want to pay the I 50 bucks to, to Joseph. Ah, okay, okay. And I don't want to pay you know, rent seeking bullshit. That was just full on rent seeking. It wasn't even interest. It was just rent seeking. Like I didn't use their money. Like then I get the, I get, I get paying it. That's just flat ass fucking rent seeking. But I'm very pleased with, with my, my, my article. I, would I wanted like to, to hear your all's feedback. I'd like you to pause this right now, read it. And then <laughs> well, I wanted to circle back on the previous article that you wrote. I mean, after going through it and after seeing you tweet it out and just like what it looks like on a feed, the big thing that's missing is a subtitle. That just yeah, explains so you, what so, it but is. This is what I love. Like, 
I in no way think that that article is perfect. And I know that this one isn't. I know the title sucks, but I know it'll it'll get there now. Whereas if I just kept the shit rattling around in my brain, it never will. So yeah. in the, and I'm viewing this very much. These things that I'm putting up on the ENA or the dance putting up on the ENA blog. <laughs> Um, as like like wor- working drafts that, that that then I can go back and refine, but it's it's getting it out of my head, and there's some yeah. good stuff there. And again, it's not necessarily my stuff; it's good. It's like the quotes from Jobs and Henry Ford are fucking great. And if I can just be a Sherpa to that, like even if even if my nonsense has no value, people clicking on those links, it'll help them. Do you take notes throughout the week, or do you just kind of put it all in a? Uh, I got I got my Bear app that I have little yeah. thoughts links I, I use the raindrop.io to collect and sort my links you know what i'm interested in and i should have I, I got interested in that rome thing have you all looked at that yeah but then bear added the same or similar is it the functionality same? it's like a cult around rome and i should have invested in rome but um what anyway, is it I, i'm I, not familiar it's a it's Basically. a it's a note-taking mind mapping thing but it's got a whole different level it's got like this rome like the city or to roam uh, around r-o-a-m or? r-o-a-m Basically lets you easily It's like notion. Yeah, create oh I'm getting into Which, notion and Joseph is getting into notion. Joseph and I are Notion in we're, a way. We're building some cool uh ENA databases. But um Rome basically it, it allows you to connect different subjects, different thoughts, and connect back to other notes in a more intuitive and easy to navigate way than just putting a link to another. No, people are no, nuts about that shit and i've hacked bear to be that so i now have wikis for like all of my main projects in my life right and 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 so i've got you know the george personal wiki i've got various client wikis and the the deep linking back and forth between bear makes it super easy to create i love it and so that's how i kind of organize my thoughts and i think that that's essentially rome's model as you say yeah but i just i couldn't get over the learning curve i, I tried rome about six months ago and with great aspirations actually look for videos and shit i just couldn't figure out what the there there was but there is there there that's the hard part with notion too with the learning curve it's just they didn't make it intuitive but now that i'm getting it it's yeah i can make it whatever i want it to be um three things yeah yeah i went first last time i can i can go go ahead it's your bad self in rings what? Actually, you went last last week, George. But anyway, I said, go ahead with your bad self. Onion rings. Onion it's rings. B- it's a BC boys lyric. <laughs> so, um, the car that I'm driving here doesn't have the ability for me to connect my phone to it. So, I've been listening to a lot of radio um, when I drive, which is not very often these days. Um, but my dad has like a ton of CDs as one does. And so I grabbed a handful of CDs so that I could listen to more than like top 40. Mm -hmm. And yesterday I was going for a really, um, nice drive. And I put in the black keys album brothers from 2010. That album is still so good. I listened to it. I didn't skip a single song. 
And then I, because as a radio, as a um, CD player does, it just like restarted. And even though I was like, oh, that, okay, I'm back at the beginning. I was like, it's okay. And just like, let it keep going. I haven't listened to the Black Keys. I don't know when the last time I was, I listened to like any of their stuff. I loved that album when it came out, but it's still like, it's a good album. What's, Have you guys listened adorable. to them recently? Yeah. What's yeah. the name of the guys in the Black Keys? Dan Auerbach. Dan Auerbach. So Dan Auerbach is married to Michelle Branch and he produced some of her ah, most recent stuff. Michelle Branch with Dan Auerbach producing, that's some pretty cool stuff. She was a she was a talent that was thrown into the machine too early and and just became known for like a <laughs> I mean, those songs are bad put into context, but it's her having someone as musically thoughtful as Dan Auerbach producing her. That's a, it's pretty cool. Well, it was like Zoe Deschanel was married to Death Cab for Cutie guy. Ben Um, Gibbons, right? Yeah, like that, that did wonders, I think, for her music. And that, like, that's when she had She does the She and Him records with M. Ward. M. Ward's fucking amazing i don't think i i've and never, she did I've never with just could never get into death cab but in words fucking great. i still love death cab Shocker. um so i oh, hinted oh, wait, at one my... second oh. on 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 black keys like so we've been talking ohio is like this this theme so they're from akron can either of you name other other two other um notable ohio bands proving the point that amazing things come out of the margins and marginalized people isn't cheap trick from ohio no they're no, from no. illinois Rockford. Uh, I don't know. From I don't. Ohio. Nothing's coming to mind from Ohio. I don't know. Devo. Okay. okay. No, but I mean, don't Devo. Come on. Just and Chrissy Hind from Pretenders. Oh. And all, all, and I don't know anything about the Black Keys other than I think they make badass music. But I do know a lot about Devo and Chrissy Hind. And and they all it was all a pushback against the oppressiveness of Ohio. Devo is de evolution, right? I mean that was the whole theme. Yeah. Like, the, we're, we're devolving right here. And yeah. and arguably the black keys too, right? I mean I mean that music is so you could say it's just kind of, you know, a little better articulated white stripes or something, but there's definitely that kind of pushing back against it. It was interesting because listening to the Black Keys, it reminded me of the drive-by truckers yeah. who George introduced me to. But in that, like, when one of the two of them, like, there's kind of different feels throughout the album based on, like, who is kind of leading that song, which I do really like because then it's, like, the two different kind of voices or styles. The songs can have a different feeling, but it's super in sync. But, yeah, I... I was happy that I grabbed that one. I will keep you guys posted. I have a very interesting mix of CDs in that car now. I'll report back to which other ones stand the test of time as well as the Black Keys. But as I mentioned, I was listening to this in the car and I don't know if I can just um, have a season as one of my three things, but yesterday was the first time that I've gone for a drive in weeks. And it is so fucking beautiful outside right now. If you live in an area that has any kind of fall colors, go for a walk, go for a drive. It was like, I don't know. I don't know if it just happened all of a sudden here or if it's just because I haven't really been anywhere. But it's like a postcard out there right now. It's all 
purples and reds and golds. It was the most beautiful drive. I was thinking because going back to the book club, like I was trying to think of what I want to do for this artist date stuff. Like what will my hourly artist date be? And now I'm like, I want to spend two hours walking in this air amongst these colors, like for sure. It is so beautiful. So number two, fall. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> if that's a cop out, but I was in awe yesterday. I almost pulled over multiple times to like take photos, but I was like, it won't translate. And I'm on a highway. So like, just keep driving a country highway, but still, but it was like, I'm a summer person through and through, but man, fall is so, so amazing. It's, I'm really excited. And now everyone has like the different colors of flowers on their porches and the pumpkins are out and this palette is, is definitely one of my favorites. I never feel my... more alive than I do in the fall. And it's mainly because of the, the pumpkin flavored macchiato. That's what really just brings you to life. I don't know the what pumpkin... that is. And I know I don't want to play any flavored fucking macchiatos, but I, I love the fall so much. I just, I, I love it so much. Pumpkin spice, George. No, I don't, I don't understand that. Um, my third thing, there is a podcast that I've been listening to. I think there's only one episode left. It's called Morally Indefensible. Have you guys heard of it? No. So nope. it's a, and I'm mentioning it because I think the, the podcast has been interesting, but the whole kind of concept and approach that they're taking is not something that I've seen before. We mentioned Homecoming earlier, which was a podcast that became an Amazon Prime show and that was I think for me the first like homecoming was did a lot of firsts for me like a scripted um just fictional podcast like listening to a, a show that wasn't a show was different for me but what's happening with morally indefensible so Mark Schmerling who he did Crime Town which was also a great oh, podcast great. about the first season was all about Providence, Providence. Rhode Island and, and yeah, Buddy Cianci yeah, yeah. And so he is behind Morally Indefensible, but they refer to it as, and I'm using quotes because I don't really know if there's a better word for it, but this is their word. It's a companion to an upcoming FX docuseries. So the story is, it's a true crime story. In 1979, this ex-Green Beret doctor was convicted of murdering his pregnant wife and their two young daughters. And he has always proclaimed his innocence. And then there was like, he said that there was people that came into his house. It had like a very Charlie Manson-esque feel to it. He said hippies came into his house, like a few men and a woman, a woman, and they murdered um, his wife and wrote like pigs in her blood on the, he on the headboard, like had a lot of Sure stuff indeed. but then it was yeah but then it was like is that uh so people were like kind of if that was true and this was going to be like a new wave of crime but then he had like a copy of esquire magazine in his house at the time which documented that murder and like had those details so was he inspired by it but anyway so he was convicted and he became friends with um a journalist who had just written a book about um, the Nixon presidency. So it was like super popular at the time. And 
they become friends and the doctor wants the journalist to write the book about his story to like help him get out of jail or like reclaim his innocence. The book ends up the process of the, of the guy writing the book it then became a show. Is it the McDonald? Is it the McDonald murder? Exactly. Well, McDonald was the, was, was, was the, the journalist, accused. the author. Okay. No. It's, oh, no. It, oh, wait, wait, wait. No, let me have it backwards. McDonald maybe was the accused and McGinnis was the, McGinnis. was yeah. McGinnis the was McDon- the, so that's a really durable story. There's been numerous movies about this in the break-in. Including, and, so Errol Morris. Errol yes. Morris wrote yes. Fatal Vision. Fatal Vision. That's um, exactly right. Yep. yep. Yeah. And so it's re- super interesting because Mark Schmerling describes it and like he like describes Errol Morris as one of his heroes. Yes. Who wrote a best-selling book, Fatal Vision, about this whole story because no. then there was the... Errol Morris is a documentarian. He, he did Thin Blue Line and I don't think he wrote Apparently he wrote a book. Apparently okay. he wrote a okay. book. According to Mark Schmierling, I have a, I took the notes to say it properly. Apparently he wrote a book, um, Fatal Vision, about this because then the journalist no. and the murderer go to court. And then that's what this podcast is about. Was like the It's not about the guy murdering his family. It's about the, the kind of legal battle. And it has really interesting things that come up because it's like, the journalistic duty if like should they have conveyed to the murderer that he actually thought he was guilty in like at the end of it or what like was his allegiance to the truth and writing the book but I think anyways like it's this really interesting kind of like little constellation that they're creating I don't really know if I would be interested enough after having finished a podcast like it ends and then it will be like the next week the docuseries starts on fx so it's like a companion, but also they have to be not just doing a pure repetition. I think it's a really interesting approach. Like we're going to do a, like the podcast is almost serving as like a trailer, like a preview for this docu-series. So it'll be on FX and then on Hulu the next days. I've, I've Again, it just made me think of like the homecoming podcast in that what they're doing, I've never heard of anyone else doing the kind of, um, different pieces of it, collisions, if you want to call that, between the docuseries, an old book, a podcast. I think it's super cool. Again, the story itself is an interesting story. The podcast I've enjoyed, but I, it's kind of like the the whole approach that they're taking, I think, is an interesting one. And even talking about like, you know, the changing landscape of of journalism or news and like what you have to do to kind of be more um, innovative and this kind of like, well, let's link these different parts. And then there's cross promotion and there are different formats so that the story is still getting out to different people and the platform of their choice. And so I think the whole thing is cool. And again, this, the series hasn't started, but you could listen to the podcast. You could go back and, and read books. It is kind of a wild story. And because he's X Green Beret, like it started Ross off, McDonald's. it was on a uh, like military base. So yes. the fact that it actually went into like the, the fact that it left the military courts, I don't know what they call them, is also kind of crazy. Like being a Green Beret doctor and then having the military be like, we think he did it. Like this, you need to elevate this to the next level. So anyway, it's a, it, there's lots of interesting parts about it, but I mentioned it mostly because I think all of the moving pieces are interesting. And I wonder if we'll see more of that, like the collisions between podcasts and journalists and documentarians and I, I think it's an interesting kind of 
local news. However inarticulately I may have attempted, you're you're absolutely saying in a, a, a more cogent way what I was trying to say. Storytelling has changed. Um, you would have, you would have, I, I read the book. I watched the movie. Um, 10 years ago, if I wanted to get that story, going back to Friends or whatever, I would have had to either read a book or read it in a magazine, right? I mean, I think Esquire ran that story. Now you consume that through podcasts. It's the well, same NBC, story. NBC made a a a ser like either like a short the eighties. This is a yeah, very it was the most watched thing, thing at yes. that time. But this 84. is my point, and that's what I was trying to say about the medium. The stories are still there. We just have different technologies to tell them. The New York Times has been doing that. Local media needs to do the same thing. I'm not for a second saying that local media is unimportant. I'm saying that adhering to that skeuomorphic kind of storytelling won't work. And that's all I was trying to say. Not that I was right. And and, and now you're, you know, and, and then go back to the, 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 the friends reading books. That's because that was the medium of the time. Now we all have our, our AirPods and listening to podcasts. Same story. Mm -hmm. Hyperlinked, but the same story. It'd be so boring watching a bunch of characters listening to a podcast. Well, holy fuck. I, as best I can tell, <laughs> watching Friends in any way is just a torturous thing that I don't want to do. I don't think I've ever seen one episode, but hearing you all talk about it, I, I, I have zero You're better off to. watching Seinfeld. I love Seinfeld. Yeah. It's always Friends versus Seinfeld. Someone, you're either a Friends person or a Seinfeld person. Nah, I was obviously a Seinfeld person because I didn't watch Friends. <laughs> It's also running my record company. <laughs> All right, who's next? I'll go. I've got a bunch of music ones. Ladies first. <laughs> um, first uh, goes back to our conversation about Guitar World and Premier Guitar. Um, Ariel Posen, Canadian, lives in Ireland. Lived in Ireland. You guys familiar with the band uh, The Brothers Landreth? No. Sonny Landreth, I know. Is that real, any relationship? No idea. Um, but so Ariel Posen was the guitar player for the Brothers Landreth, and that's kind of what got him out into the scene. And he went solo, or so at least started releasing solo music about two years ago. And he, I mean, talk about putting compelling art in front of people that are predisposed to care. He went to every single niche guitar YouTube channel and guessed on all of those and did collaborations with those places, then got onto the Premier Guitars and the Guitar World magazines. And he just kind of stayed in this little guitar ecosystem and it awarded him, you know, fans that are people like me that are just following all this stuff seeing him pop up everywhere throw multiple impressions from different sources giving him this kind of like immediate authority but he's an insane slide guitar player he's got, very... he's got to be related to sonny landreth gotta be but go ahead i yeah we can look it up we'll put it in the show notes um but uh he's ariel is uh it's really amazing and it's great to see you know this you know doing blues, soulful kind of slide guitar playing, that's not going to live in the mainstream. And so it's cool to see someone so talented pick up an audience that can support him, you know, 
financially and have all this success uh, just by going on like YouTube channels of guitar stores. Uh, and so it's if, if you're into slide guitar, he's worth checking out. He's done a bunch of uh, educational stuff as well. So you can, I've taken some of his courses. Uh, he's really cool. And he's, he's just a great case study. And if you know who is going to dig your stuff, um, find as many ways to get in front of them through collaborations and collisions. Um, second, totally different kind of music. Uh, and I don't necessarily recommend this, but I wanted to bring it up. Uh, Machine Gun Kelly's new album. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> so this I thought was super interesting. Uh, so Machine Gun Kelly, who's historically been known as a rapper, just put out an album that was executive produced by Travis Barker, the drummer from Blink-182. Mm-hmm. And it's a full-on pop punk album. Uh you know, and it's catchy and it's all that. And then the, the songs are all about addiction and, uh, you know, it's, it's not bad stuff. It's definitely not, not everyone is going to like it, but it's super trippy seeing a pop punk album come out from a top 40 artist in 2020. And my first thought when I listened to it was, I wonder if this would have happened if Juice World didn't put out Death Race for Love a year ago or two years ago whenever that came out, which was kind of like that emo rap movement that was starting to happen where apparently he even stole some melodies from yellow card. And so it's, it's, I've at 27 years old, I haven't really lived through music cycles. You know, you see references to music is cyclical and things go out of vogue and come back in vogue. This is interesting seeing like Blink-182 and all that pop punk stuff I listened to when I was 12 come back from it you know with a top 40 artist and he's got people like Halsey and Trippy Red and all these um really all these people that are having their moment on the album and it's uh I don't it was just so unexpected to listen to it and be like I recognize this from you know from from Blink and Plus 44 and Taking Back Sunday and Hawthorne Heights and all of those bands from 15 years ago um so i don't know i haven't i haven't lived through music cycles at least as far <laughs> i haven't noticed it uh i guess 80s you know i was obviously in the 80s music comeback and a lot of pop stuff over the past decade but i wasn't around in the 80s to enjoy it last one is plur alone which is a really great band name plural and alone uh plur alone it's josh klinghoffer oh who who has been the Red Hot Chili Peppers guitar player for yeah. since 2009, 2019. I haven't listened to any of the music that the Chili Peppers put out between those years. So I don't really know what he sounded like as the Chili Peppers guitar player, but he's been putting out music as Pluralone and I didn't get hip to it until yesterday because he put out a new song and it came across my radar somehow. The Night Won't Scare Me. And I dug into the album he put out last year and it's really good. It's like, a little bit of Radiohead production, kind of smashing pumpkins in the songwriting and his vocals. And then he gets into falsetto and has some layered productions. And that sounds like Muse. It's this very kind of, I was borrowing from a lot of kind of like art rock, alt rock bands. Uh, It's, it's cool. And I don't know, I've read the story of him coming into the Red Hot Chili Peppers and how he kind of unceremoniously got, got the boot once for said he wanted to, 
back in, but uh, it's, I think it's better than the chili. I've never been a huge chili peppers fan, but I think it's definitely better than what they do. So, or at least now. Uh, so it's, it's worth checking out if any of those Radiohead Smashing Pumpkins muse, if any of that is your bag, it'll, uh, <laughs> one of, one of those three is, <laughs> I thought Smashing Pumpkins might've been one of your things too. No, you don't like Smashing Pumpkins. I think it was, it was so, anyway, we don't have enough time for me to talk about all my Smashing Pumpkin issues, um, and dealings oh, wow. with okay. them, but, um. I, I, my my viewpoints were probably altered because I had to deal with those monkeys. Um, but anyway. <laughs> that's fair. Um, those are cool. And he was in something else. But I mean, I'm a, I'm a big uh, what's his name, uh, Frusciante fan. Like I think he's amazing, you know. But mm-hmm. yeah, I can't listen to the Red Hot Chili Peppers. I think I think he sings out of tune. Like the, the whole every it makes me crazy. But uh, Klinghoffer did something before that too. I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah. I. I didn't know who he was really until I listened to this his new music. Now that's my turn. Take it. My turn. Um, Thelonious Monk. They found a concert of him recording in a high school auditorium in Palo Alto. <laughs> Amazing. Like if I were for, forced to choose, you know, the, my favorite artist, and I'm glad I don't have to be forced to choose. But suffice it to say, on my wall of of things. Uh, there are two monk images up there. I mean, I just, that guy, and uh, it's a really, really amazing recording. And even if you're not a fan of Thelonious Monk, being able to hear him banging away at a high school in 1967 is pretty fucking great. Uh, a similar genius, um, they reissued Prince's Sign of the Times record with 97 bonus tracks. And similar similar to Monk, um, you know, Prince was one of those people who, like Mozart or something, just existed on a different, different plane. And clearly, and and he would hear all of the parts in his head at once, and he just couldn't get them out fast enough. And and so he had all this stuff, and the labels, etc., made him winnow down Sign of the Times to a double album. Um, it's extraordinary. I mean, you, you, there are things on this '97 track reissue that didn't make the record that are far better than, than stuff that did. Like he just, he could not get it out of him fast enough. He was writing songs for Miles Davis, which they, they collaborated on. It's not good. He was writing songs <laughs> for Joni Mitchell. She demurred, but like, he just, he couldn't get it out fast. It's just, just absolutely amazing. Did they put all 97 tracks on DSPs? No, but there's a lot like you can, I don't know how many, but there's a lot of on, on Spotify or on uh, Apple music. Like you can sit and listen to hours of it, Yeah, but there's, yeah. there's stuff that you can't get. And then my last thing is I'm reading I'm in the middle of or early stages of um, Liz Fair's um, biography called horror hmm. stories. I'm, I'm a sucker for, for music biographies. And I've, I've always been a fan of Liz Fair. I, I think Exxon Guyville is just a, a amazing record. I think she got, uh, un un um excusably kind of caught in certain heteronormative kind of ideals of the 90s and 2000s but exile and Godville stands the fuck up as does a lot of a lot of her work and i didn't know what to expect of her like i know nothing about it, you know um and and except for what everyone knows and i didn't know what to expect for the biography but i got it on on libby and it's amazing like she writes, it's not a typical biography. It's essentially her her talking about 
just like uh, uh, terrible times in her life. And it kind of bounces back and forth between them. And it's, it's not exactly uplifting, but there's a great deal of humanity in it and a great deal of just like, I mean, she's just super smart, whip smart, as one of her songs would say. Um, and then there was this, this quote that I wrote down. She says, what I want is for the whole fabric of society to improve. I'm tired of women having to call out men for their violence against us. Police your own damn selves. You do these awful things to us, and then it's somehow our responsibility to get you to change. And it's like, hell yeah. So, I don't know. I think she's a badass. That's my third thing. All right. All right. See you both next week. See you later. Bye. The Entrepreneurship and Art Podcast is a GH Strategic Production, hosted by me, Carly Sheridan, Dan Cervantes, and George Howard. For more information and show notes, visit our website at entrepreneurshipandart.com.